Hi there, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. On this podcast, we love to showcase the lives of women who have achieved amazing things in their careers, those who've got a really cool or unusual job, and some who have just had a really interesting life. If you're looking for inspiration for your career, if you feel a little stuck or bored with what you're doing right now, or if you're in search of the road less traveled job-wise, then this is the podcast for you. Each week, I sit down with one woman to dig a little deeper into the how of it all. How did they get where they are? How did they pick themselves up when things didn't go right? And how their mentors, mistakes and motivations have led them to achieve the things they have. My guest this week is Dr. Lilak Zapastein, an audiologist. Never heard of an audiologist? Nope, neither had I until recently. But that's the point of this podcast, to bring you stories of women with careers about which you may know nothing, and to encourage you to think outside the box for your own career. For the uninitiated, an audiologist sits at the intersection between communication, medicine, technology, speech production, and neuroscience. So pretty varied. And their role can be so interesting, as Lilac will tell you. Originally from Brooklyn, she now lives in Haifa in Israel. And after working in the educational side of audiology, has recently taken a job working in the clinical hospitals setting. I started by asking her to tell me a little bit about how she came across this as a career and how she got into it. Thank you for mentioning that, because that whole web, how audiology fits so many different interests of mine, um, really speaks to my journey because I wasn't sure I wanted to do medicine, but chem was getting chemistry was was getting too challenging, and I thought maybe I need to do something para health, so like not exactly medical school, but related. I was um, also always interested in psychology and power power dynamics and all of that. So um, family communication, like all of it, fit together. And when I discovered audiology, it was like spot on. Right, all all the different things together. I know you've said previously that when you tell people you're an audiologist, they often say a cardiologist or a radiologist, which made me laugh. And um, it's not a career that some people will have heard of. Because so, could you just give me a brief overview of what it is that an audiologist actually does? And yes, I would love to talk about audiology and what audiologists do because that's something that I talk about all the time. Because there is this gap in just healthcare and understanding of who audiologists are and what they do. So in short, audiologists take care of the ear, which includes hearing and balance. And so if there's any kind of thing going on with hearing loss or any balance disorders, vertigo, or anything that has to do with the eighth nerve, which is hearing and balance nerve, then an audiologist will be involved at some point. Um, audiologists work closely with ENTs, your nose and throat doctors, um, but also pediatricians and also geriatricians. So throughout the lifespan, audiologists can be involved from newborn babies that have their newborn hearing screening in the hospital to everybody during their life who has ear infections or anything more dramatic, like people who have car accidents and then their hearing is affected or, um, any kind of middle ear problems like otosclerosis. And then all the way through hearing loss due to aging, and audiologists can dispense hearing aids. Audiologists can work in schools, in clinics, in hospitals. That's the super n- varied. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, the nutshell. Yep. Hearing loss and deafness can affect people of any age. 
In adults, a person and their family may be aware that there's a problem and realise that their hearing isn't what it was. Or there may be a precipitating incident, such as a head trauma, that causes a problem. But what about in newborn babies? Parents generally won't be expecting a diagnosis of deafness or hearing loss. And I asked Lilac about how they go about finding out that a baby may be affected. So we are very lucky that we have these kind of automatic tests that do not require you to raise your hand when you hear the beep because babies cannot do that. So we are able to measure the nerve and what's going on with the electrical activity of the brain when we present a sound. It's similar to what you do with an EKG to test the heart. It's called an ABR, an auditory brainstem response, and it's like with electrodes on the head. And that's a way that we can get a real essentially accurate reading if there's hearing loss and how much in each of the ears. And that's something that we do even on newborn babies. Um, there's another kind of test that we do also that's quick, a quick screening that's kind of a pass-fail that we do in all babies when they're born. And that also helps to um, identify babies early and then get them intervention as early as possible, which has dramatic consequences on their development. Because before these kind of tests were implemented, um, we had children being identified when they were two or three, they weren't speaking. And it's like, oh, what's going on with this, with this kiddo? By this time, they're two or three years old and they've missed this critical period of language acquisition. Um, but now we're identifying them as newborn babies and we can really do a lot by implementing those interventions as early as possible. And then they're getting access to sound all those months. So what sort of treatments would you have in your armory to help babies in this situation? Uh, I'm very naive about this area, so I'm assuming hearing aids would be an option, but can you just talk us through what else might be involved, Lilac? Okay, hearing aids when, when they're warranted, when there's, when there's a kind of hearing loss that can benefit from hearing aids, that's huge because all those months they're getting auditory input, um, sounds that they can be getting. Um, the other kind of it is medical intervention but it also has to do with with um, with being able to hear and get access to sound is the cochlear implant which is for for babies who have a profound hearing loss or a lot a lot of hearing loss that they're essentially deaf and the cochlear implant gives them another way to have access to sound it's it's really quite a miraculous um, medical progress that's been going on in the last 30 or so years so the cochlear implant is an implant that's that's surgically implanted into the cochlea, the inner ear, that that's performed by a, a brain slash ear surgeon, you know, a very specific kind of um, uh, specialty. But the mapping, like the programming of that device, and the candidacy and the testing, everything that goes around it before and after, is done by audiologists. And the the important thing about this cochlear implant is that it's kind of the, the step one, it's like opening the door, but then what happens now with all these sounds? There has to be a lot of rehabilitation and speech therapy and all these kinds of, like you mentioned, um, getting support with learning, with language that needs to come with that. It's not just like this miracle thing, even though you might see videos on the internet of people hearing for the first time and they're always like really emotional and inspiring, but that's not nearly the case for everyone. It's really a very long process, but still a miraculous and beautiful and amazing thing mm. that we, we get to be part of. That must be so incredibly rewarding as part of your job that you get to see, you know, children and maybe even older people who are 
hearing for the first time. That must be quite an incredible moment, you know? It is, but also I, I must put it like it's, you know, maybe one in 50 is like, wow. And all the other ones, it's like, I don't know, what was that weird sound? Sometimes they can <laughs> feel it rather than hear it because it's just they don't have a way to process what's coming in. And for the little babies, many times they cry just because oh, really? like, oh, bless them. what was that? So, yeah, that's not, it's not always a positive kind of thing. But the journey itself, you know, as they go through and as they grow, it's, it's really an amazing thing to be a part of. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit more about you, Lila. Where did you, where did you grow up? And, and tell me about your kind of schooling and education and that sort of thing as part of your career. I grew up in New York, in Brooklyn. Uh, my parents are from Israel. So I always had this kind of understanding that, that uh, a lot of children of immigrants have, which is like language, one language at home, one language in school. Um, like, you know, being, being both part of everything, but also an observer of everything. I feel like that was a huge part of my, um, my journey, like as a, a young kid and a, and a teenager, just always very interested in other people and what, how, how does life go for everyone? You know, I was like a detective people. <laughs> mm, mm, that's cool it's kind of interesting to describe yourself as an observer of life I like that yeah and and languages linguistics specifically was always something that was fascinating because I had at home Hebrew but also my my mother's family they're French and my father's family also there's some French and then they spent some time in Spanish-speaking countries like there was just a lot of mumble of languages around so I started actually majoring in linguistics and through linguistics got to the speech and hearing major, right? Also that friend. So that was kind of coming through there. And so I did my undergraduate degree at Brooklyn College and then went on to get my doctorate in audiology from the CUNY Graduate Center in New York, right down the street from Macy's in Herald Square. <laughs> How very nice. <laughs> Lots of opportunities for shopping. <laughs> that landmark. You know, though, every time I would get off the train, you know, 40 minute train ride out of Brooklyn to Manhattan. And all these tourists are shopping and I'm going to school. I know. I find that sometimes if I'm in London, everybody's kind of dawdling along the street, taking pictures, you know, they're obviously having a really lovely time. And sometimes you're just like, guys, I have to go to work. Like, please, can we all just move and walk a little bit faster? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it would be like a long day of of lab clinic and then classes in the evening and it's like 10 o'clock at night (laughs) and I have to get home also, I have um, I have three daughters. So throughout grad, wow, grad okay. school, I had I had two children during grad school. Um, very challenging, <laughs> but thankfully wonderful. And yeah, so that was quite an ex- intensive period. We got through that. <laughs> so I'm interested in that actually, Leela. How did you juggle having two children while you were studying? Because that's that's very intense. So how did you how did you manage your studies around having kids as well? So first of all, I have to credit my amazing support system, my husband and my parents and my in-laws. So we had a team, we had support and and my babysitter, let's not forget her. She practically raised those babies as soon as as I gave them to her and went back to school. Um, So I had a lot of support and and I know that's huge. And that's something that, you know, is a real privilege to have had. Um, That being said, I want to say that I had a very laser focused determination that I, I wanted to get through graduate school. I wanted to earn my degree and, and like, you know, do it on the timeline that was, that was set. Um, maybe to the detriment of other things going on, but it was very important to me to do that. So, um, looking back, 
there are things that, you know, I, did I really have to do it in four years? Maybe I could have done five, like, you know, saying, um, I could have spaced things. I could have let some things go and some, but no, at the time I was so focused, so laser, so, um, really just dedicated and, and a little bit of survival mode. We'll mm-hmm. put that in there. You know, a lot <laughs> of things fell to the, to the wayside when, you know, let's like even about healthy eating, all this kind of stuff. It was like, no, I need to eat whatever is available to me because I have a very long, you know, 17 hour day. It's not happening. And I'm pumping and I'm like, it was not always pretty. <laughs> yeah. 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 Gosh, it's incredible. Cause actually, you know, having, having a child and, um, I've spoken before with various guests on, on the podcast about, um, the lack of maternity leave in the US, even if you're actually in employment at that stage rather than in education, but um, not having any access to maternity leave when you're studying or having a break from your studies to raise children is, um, like you say, you must be having to have absolutely laser, laser focused determination is is uh, definitely the order of the day by the sounds of things. Yeah, I definitely didn't have any friends. Like, forget it. Bless you. <laughs> that was I was doing right. Like I was homeschool, homeschool, baby, doctor's visits. That was it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So you finished your undergrad, and then and then what did you do after that? Did you um, were you in a hospital, or how did you progress your career from there? So I worked in a in a school. I got a job as an educational audiologist in a school for the, which was always also connecting this this thing about childhood education. I was also interested in, didn't mention that because I just kind of want everything, you know? <laughs> so this is a good, a very good start to, to my career was seeing how it really is the real families, the real kids, and not just the textbook uh, superstar cases that, it, you know, that, that how it's supposed to go, but how it really is. And looking at when you see a child in a school for the deaf, whether or not they have cochlear implant or hearing aids, if they're using sign language, if they're using speech, what else is in this kid's life medically? Like we had kids who had feeding tubes and um, kids in wheelchairs or had other kinds of other medical concerns or, or access, you know, accessibility issues like a student who didn't come to school for two months because they couldn't get the proper wheelchair, things like that, that like I, don't, I didn't have any access to that. I, I didn't have any experience with that kind of real life. How do they get services? How what are the processes for, for people to go through things? And the parents, which is something that, you know, I was a new parent, <laughs> young person, getting to see people going through incredible struggles and their journey with their medically fragile, sometimes not, you know, whatever on the spectrum, like whatever their, their journey was and seeing these incredible parents putting everything that they could, um, with what they had. So, what kind of support do they have? What kind of socioeconomic status was there? Was there a language barrier? You know, you have these parents who, who didn't even speak English, let alone how can they participate in an IEP meeting to get services? Like they can't advocate. They don't even have proper. And so even if there's a translator, you know, there's for sure breakdowns there. So that was an incredible, incredible year. One opportunity to learn how, how the real, how the real thing goes, real life. And was that quite overwhelming at times? Because it sounds like a lot when, I mean, I think there's always a a degree of um, transition when you move from a postgraduate or an undergraduate degree where you're learning a lot of things theoretically, but then you go out into the real world and you have to start applying what you've learned. And there is that 
it's quite a big jump in quite a lot of professions um, and quite a lot of careers. How did you find that transition emotionally or um, practically in that in that job, Lila? It was um, a big change and a big transition, but thankfully, it was also incredibly gratifying to to say, look, I put in all this time and all this effort to get this degree, and actually, it matters. Actually, I have answers to people's questions, or I can explain to them what's going on with their with their child audiologically, and and I felt like there was like I really had a good purpose there, and I was important to the team, and I had good relationships with people, and it made me feel like like this was a, a good choice, which is a very good feeling. Yeah, definitely, that's very rewarding, and. You said um, previously, uh, I've some stuff that I've read and listened to that often there is a high degree of counselling involved in an audiology career because the diagnosis some parents may receive about their child having hearing loss or you know coming to terms with that may involve an element of grief and the difficulty that can be associated with a diagnosis around that. Can you just talk to me a little bit about that, Lilek, and and just expand on that a little bit? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. That is actually my big, um, something that I really see as my mission, what I'm doing with my podcast and what I do with putting it out there, because I see this as the crucial element of what, what the audiologist's role needs to also be, is because what, what I see is that sometimes there is that disconnect where the audiologist becomes more connected to the medical team or more connected to like what, what needs to happen clinically and we're going to test, and then we're going to fit them with the hearing aid or whatever device, and then we're going to do follow-ups, and, and it's, it, it, there's a lot of things that need to be done. And this other part of it, this emotional journey, um, supporting the family with understanding the diagnosis, coming to terms with the diagnosis, all that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle of what happened. And so, so a big part of what I offer is that, is that there is this other role that an audiologist can play that doesn't have to be your clinical audiologist who's actually caring for everything that needs to happen but there can also be this other element where you can do it separately um get someone who who is knowledgeable in in the field and who who has expertise in the specific area um but is coming at it from from the other more holistic approach Mm. it's actually almost a degree of kind of psychology or that sort of counseling and support services that's associated with your role as well which is I know a lot of people who are interested in that kind of you know counseling psychology type job but actually thinking about it from this point of view that you're combining it with a very practical role as well is a really interesting divergence on what some people may have thought about as a previous career I suppose. So once you finish teaching, how have you kind of expanded your career from then, Lilac, into what you're doing now? And just for listeners, Lilac is now currently living in Israel. So we have relocated across the world, which is exciting. <laughs> right, we didn't have enough changes and transitions. Let's go. She just had in. a few children, did a couple of degrees, <laughs> you know. So uh, last summer in 2018, we moved from, from New York to Israel, to Haifa. And um, then I had this kind of gap where I couldn't quite work yet, just technical bureaucracies of getting licensed. And I'm kind of left there saying, wait, I, I, like I'm at the, just this new beginning emerging career that I'm so passionate about. And uh, what do I do with this? So I decided to start a podcast and just talk in my own kitchen table while my kids are at school. 
learning, you know, just connecting with people all over the world and, and connecting with parents and grandparents and teachers of the deaf and speech therapists and like kind of creating this community around the pieces of audiology that aren't communicated enough, uh, you know, the human stories of it. So I have interviews and I have um, all sorts of people guesting on the podcast to talk about various controversies within audiology. And um, it's really been a fun time. I did that, started that uh, about eight months ago. And then um, just in August, I started working at one of the um, hospitals here in the region, Rambam Hospital. And now I am a clinical cochlear implant audiologist. So now I'm on the team that's doing the pre-testing and the post-mapping and all of that. And I had a minor existential fear that, you know, I'm going to go and get this clinical job and then not continue with all this other, the other people that I'm so passionate about. And had a very kind friend and colleague say to me, if anyone should be in the clinical role, it's, you know, someone who, who also sees this whole this whole aspect of, of everything. So she gave me a lot of, of strength that I can kind of connect both of these things and continue on with, uh, with both streams of what I'm doing. <laughs> when people receive any kind of medical diagnosis or they're going through the process of investigation and treatment, it's often a scary time. That especially rings true if you're a parent and the patient is your child, as the degree of fear is naturally incredibly high. Doctors, nurses and medical professionals across the world are busy, busy people. And the reality is that some people are better communicators than others. The skill that LILAC clearly holds in abundance is the capacity to combine significant scientific knowledge with empathetic support. To be the person on whom families can lean when things may be difficult. When they may have a thousand questions they don't feel they can, can ask or should ask. This is a gift and it is clearly what makes her fantastic at her job. If, you know, if audiologists have to go to school for eight years, then there's no reason someone who didn't do that would, would need to know everything just, just because they have someone in their family with hearing loss, you know, we do that a lot where, where I, I go back to the beginning and say, wait, do you understand the diagnosis? Even if it was given eight years ago, like, do you have a, a basic concept of how this anatomy works and where the breakdown is? Because that matters. That matters to what what the implications are and what are the options and and like here here somebody's be deciding between this or that surgery when they kind of are are lost from the beginning. So I like I like to do that. Yeah, bring it back. A little while ago, I spoke to Lisa Cox, a disability campaigner, who spoke about some of the preconceptions and challenges she faces as an amputee and wheelchair user. And if you haven't caught that episode yet, I would recommend looking her up as she is an amazing person. Lilac was keen to emphasise that she doesn't want to speak on behalf of her patients, but alongside them instead as part of their support network. And she has kindly put me onto some activists in the deaf community subsequent to this interview. So I'm hoping to feature one of them on the podcast in due course. In the meantime, we discussed a little of what Lilac has learned as an audiologist about the challenges that those with hearing loss may encounter. This is such an important question, and part of the problem with the question is that you're asking me. We need to hear from the people in the community who are tell us what they need and what their experiences are, and they're out there, like especially for sure nowadays when we have every means of communication available to us. Um, there, there are so many amazing advocates and teachers um, within the deaf community who are active on Instagram and, and Facebook. 
Um, but I can say what, from what I've learned that, that accessibility is a huge, huge barrier to inclusion in our, in our societies. And that even the smallest thing of putting captions on your Instagram story makes your, makes it that you thought who is going to be watching this, maybe they would prefer to have captions on this, even though, even though it's a 15 second video, like, you, you know, having awareness that there's people who might need, have different needs than you um, is already a start. Um, but bigger things like access to interpretation, access to people who um, accompany for medical appointments, things like that, bigger, you know, much bigger systemic changes that need to, to be there for, for change. And what about um, the advances in technology? Because um, I'm kind of what? How is that um, affecting your career? And how are you anticipating that the changes in technology that we're seeing across every aspect of our life are going to develop your field in the future, Leela? Absolutely huge, huge, huge. I went to a conference earlier this year where the presenter was talking about the Internet of Things, which is like this the latest edge. T- technology concept that you know you have a smart fridge that tells you when you're out of milk and you have like smart watch that's measuring your heart rate that can now be used to tell people if they're having arrhythmias like like that they're constantly measuring their heart th- things like that so so our whole world is changing like you know self-driving cars and and all that so I don't want to be this like futuristic person but it's actually already here so the fact that people have now access to technology that's giving them um, a set, access to a sense like our hearing that they would not have access to naturally through the cochlear implant, making them a bionic person. Like that's not fiction that has been happening for the last 25 years and it's getting more and more advanced. Now people have, have a, they can stream audio like podcasts, for example, from their iPhone straight to their cochlear implant device. Like right. it also, it also is a Bluetooth, um, headphone so now everyone off the you know every person you see on the street has a bluetooth headphone but some of some of these people who are implanted with with cochlear implants have had that for a few years that's incredible okay (laughs) yeah so there's there it's just going to get smaller and smaller more discreet better battery life better sound improvement like it's it's only going up exponentially and do you anticipate that as technology improves further that the use of things like sign language will gradually fade out over a period of time or do you think there'll always be a place for that as well you have hit on one of the major controversies in our field oh really yes yes the the deaf community and deaf culture is something that that many people highly highly value and regard as their identity and there is there is some clash between this idea that um, deafness can be cured, which it cannot. The cochlear implant is like a way of giving access to sound. It doesn't make someone not deaf. And then children who are implanted that are then never taught sign language, then they grow up maybe, like we hear, I'm, I'm thinking of one particular person online who talks about this, that they were deaf but had a cochlear implant in a hearing family and only when they were in high school were exposed to all these things and they felt like they had missed out on this cultural opportunity that they were a part of. Um, it's a very unique situation because no one is ever born into a family um, without access to the language that they speak. You know, like if you're born in Japan, everyone around you speaks Japanese, so you learn Japanese. It, it never happens that you have a, a baby that needs to learn a language different than what you know, except for in this case. So 
pre, you know, pre nineties, when, when a deaf baby would be born into a family, then that family would make a decision that, you know, they need to do everything they can for this child to communicate with them. And they would all learn sign language or, you know, that would be the best case ideal scenario, right? Or else this child would be institutionalized and sent away from the family. Right. So you, you, you kind of had these two options of either you're in the deaf world or you're excommunicated from civilization. Whereas then you have this whole revolution of the cochlear implant saying, no, actually, you can be part of the hearing world, even though you're deaf, because you can have this device, but it doesn't work for everyone. And there are some failures and it's not perfect. So then there's like this middle ground where you're one foot here, one foot there. Who are you? Huge, huge identity issues. So that's why I'm saying audiology is not like, let me check your, you know, your, your heart rate or do a hearing test in a booth and then off with you. This is like somebody's identity, how they see themselves, how they interact with the world, what job opportunities they have, their relationships. I could keep going. <laughs> no, sure. It's so interesting. Um, presumably there's, there's myriad reasons why somebody may have hearing impairment. Does a cochlear implant, you said it doesn't work for everybody, but does it cover a kind of multitude of causations? And does it, in what percentage of cases of people with hearing issues would a cochlear implant probably give them some form of improvement or at least some degree of capacity to hear? That's a great question. Um, yes, it can cover lots of different causes. Um, but I, I wouldn't have an, you know, a number for you because the, the range of quote-unquote success is also huge. Like someone having access to sound is maybe they can recognize that there's sound happening, but they have no discrimination. What, what sound, like one sound versus another sound sound the same. Whereas another person could learn to play music and become, you know, a classical musician. They have such good um, definition between sounds. So it's not just that you pop in an implant and ta-da, you can hear everything. That's not the way clearly it works by the sounds of things. Absolutely not. Exactly. It depends on what the nerve, you know, their own anatomy, how much of the nerve is is still functional. Um, And it depends on how much therapy they've gotten. And it depends on the level of access that they have to mapping appointments. Like that's that's an issue that people need to come in, you know, for follow-ups. In the beginning, it's more frequent, like every two weeks, then a month, then six months, then a year after that. But what if they miss six appointments because they don't have access to transportation? Or um, I just I just did an interview with with a, a teacher of the deaf in Hawaii, where people need to fly oh from goodness. one from one island to the other. They do not have any access to healthcare unless they, you know, take two days off work, pay for a flight, like all of this. And just financially, that can be very restricting for some people as well. You exactly. Know. Yeah, exactly. it's crazy. It's crazy. And um. I often speak to guests on this podcast about um, their mentors, their mistakes, and their motivations in their career. Um, what is it that kind of keeps you excited about audiology and gets you out of bed? You know, what what is your motivation at, at, at work? Would you say, Lila? My biggest motivation is it comes from my parents, who are educators, who, who their whole life is about educating and giving, empowering people through knowledge. They gave that to me as a very, very strong foundation for life for success and so I believe that if people are aware and understand what's happening like what is this diagnosis what does it mean what are our options if they have answers to those questions then they can be incredible advocates for themselves and for their families so um, educating people and empowering them through education 
about audiology is my main motivation. And then people soar, you know, got to give them tools. Mm, no, definitely. And what about, um, what about mentors? Have you had anyone in your career that has really encouraged you or kind of helped you with things that has allowed you to kind of flourish in, in your own career, do you think? Or, and, and, and maybe on the flip side, how are you paying it forward? Or like, how do you plan to pay it forward for the next generation? Wow. There, there are so many people, so many people that I can, that I can think of because I'm, I've really been blessed to, to have a lot of supportive people throughout my journey. Um, but I think the very first person who taught me the intro to audiology course, uh, the way she gave it over was with such enthusiasm <laughs> and so, so much, like really, she, she explained how important it was. Um, she was an audiologist in the VA hospital in Manhattan and she just had all these adorable stories <laughs> of interactions with these veterans and, and what they had done for, for the country and now what she's able to help them with in their life. And yeah, she gave it a lot of meaning. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that, that some parts uh, of the podcast are serving others. Of course, putting definitely. Out there. And I actually just heard from, from a friend who was uh, in school with me that she's teaching the, the course, Intro to Audiology, and she is using podcast episodes as resources for oh, her students. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. You're totally paying it forward totally already. Fine. That's awesome. I always sort of throw the floor open at the end of um, an interview to say, like, is there anything else kind of pertinent about your career that you would want other people to know to kind of encourage them into a job that they may not have heard about or this may be quite new to them? Like, do you have anything else kind of pertinent about your career that you would like to talk about? Sure. Um, I hear from a lot of speech therapy students who, who are going towards speech therapy or speech pathology, and, and I find that they're, they're moving the curtain a little bit, being like, what's back there in audiology land? <laughs> because speech therapy is so common. People have like, experience with it and awareness of it from, from school age and stuff like that. But not everyone has reason to encounter an audiologist which I guess is a good thing, you know, <laughs> but, but if there was more awareness of what audiologists do and how they can help people across the population, across the age range, then I think more people would really get good access to healthcare. One of the biggest issues like currently these days is that um, people only get hearing aids as they age when it's already so bad, when really they can't communicate at work, they can't communicate with their families or they're getting older and older. And, and so other health issues are already embroiled in it. And now you're putting in the audiological care. But if people got their audiological care, like they go to the dentist, like when you turn 40, you know, find 50, when you turn 50, go and get a hearing test because like, it's time to find out, get a baseline, see how it is and go every year, every two years to see. And so if someone gets a hearing aid or any kind of assistive device or has even knowledge of how their hearing is, uh, whatever age they are, then they have that power to make decisions instead of just the kind of thing that happens gradually over time. And the stats on this are that people wait seven years before they first notice they have a problem to when they get help. Gosh. And during, yeah, during those seven years, you could have like not missed out on the, those party conversations and you could have heard like more music concerts and you could have hearing your young kids like young kids with super high frequency voices right so so if there's anyone who wants to learn more about audiology and how 
audiology fits with your life, then they're free to reach out to me. Mm-hmm. So where can we find you? Uh, tell, give us me, give us your handles or links or website. Where where can people find you online, Leela? The All About Audiology podcast is on all the different podcast sites and at allaboutaudiology.com and also on Instagram and on Facebook. And I do have uh, a free guide that is geared towards parents of children with hearing loss when there's a new diagnosis and there's just, it's like a ton of bricks has befallen your home because that's usually an unexpected kind of diagnosis. Um, so it's, it's a guide that just goes through all the different aspects of what's ahead, a little bit of a roadmap, and that's available for free at allaboutaudiology.com slash guide. Cool. Well, I could definitely encourage people to go and have a look. And I definitely think what you say about people having routine checkups, like they would go to the dentist is, is actually a really good way. It's a very good analogy. Why wouldn't you look after your hearing in the same way that you look after your teeth or your eyes, you know, like we go to get our eyes tested or whatever. And um, I think that's a very good sort of take home message, isn't it, is to, to maybe prioritize looking after our ears a little bit the same way that we look after other parts of our body. Yeah, the person who has the hearing loss doesn't know what they're missing because they're missing it. If you don't know what you might be missing, then how can you do anything about it? Such a conundrum is only going to be fixed by people being more proactive about their ears and their hearing. So if you or anyone else you know might need an audiologist, then look one up and go see them. <laughs> I have to admit, audiology is a new field to me, and that's one of the reasons that I love this podcast. I aim to bring you stories of women doing things a little differently, and to expose you to careers that you might never have heard of either. If you want to find out more about audiology, or you're interested in Lilac's work, then I'll put all the links to her pages on the show page, so you can find it there. That's all for this week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please just share it wherever you can on your own social media. And if you found the podcast interesting or useful, then do please tell a friend as we are always keen for new listeners. You can send me your comments and suggestions at smashingtheceiling at gmail.com. And if you can find it in your heart to rate and review the podcast then on iTunes, then I would love you very much as it helps others to find us. Otherwise, see you next time.